Thank you for checking out Calvary Chapel Irma's weekly verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible. Join us now as Pastor David teaches through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-24 through 24, on singleness, marriage, and divorce. And Pastor David will be answering a very challenging question. What do you do when your marriage goes south? God's Word is always special. God's Word is always amazing. But I really feel, feel so strong about my message this morning. I just want to take a minute to say, you know, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 through 24. It's a very powerful passage on, on, on marriage and divorce and singleness. But I'm going, to, I'm going to put a special emphasis this morning on what do you do when your marriage is on the rocks. So I want to pray. And I want to pray... Because every marriage struggles. Every, every marriage goes through difficult times. And I just want to pray right now for that, 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 that the hearts and minds here will receive it and it will find good soil. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for um, giving us instructions in your word on marriage, on singleness, on divorce, and, and sexuality in general, Lord. And Father, I pray for um, all of our marriages that are young, in, in their mid part, and the people that have been married for a long time. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen and encourage marriages, Lord, um, and strengthen our hearts and strengthen our minds. Let us build our marriage on your word and your truth. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This morning, as our, we're making our journey through 1 Corinthians, this morning we come to chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 24. Let's, 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 let's read, we're not going to read all of it, but let's read the first uh, eight verses so we kind of get into a flow and know what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, that is good for them, that if they remain even as I am. For if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband." and that their husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise... Your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, as we dive into this this morning, speak to our hearts, Lord, and do what we're asking you to do and strengthen our marriages and educate us and teach us and and give us a biblical worldview on these subjects. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're looking at the subject of singleness, marriage, and divorce. And a caveat on top of that, I'm going to add in a part of my teaching where uh, what do you do when your marriage is going south? 
when things aren't going the way they expected, when you're going through difficult times, what do you do? Where do you go? I'm going to ask you four, I'm going to ask you six challenging questions. You know, at Calvary Chapel, we like to say we're, we're casual, we're contemporary, and we're challenging. We like to challenge people with what the Word of God says. And so we, we want to challenge you. We want to, I, want to, I want to challenge your minds. I want to challenge your hearts, not only in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ and your Christian walk, but in how you see life. So you ready to be challenged this morning? Yeah. All right, all right. It's important that we have a biblical perspective on sexuality, on singleness, on marriage and divorce. We don't want to have the world's perspective. We don't want Oprah teaching us about marriage, okay? We don't want the world teaching us about singleness and, 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 and divorce. Teen Vogue came out with an article this week, if you haven't seen it. It's horrible. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, and it makes me mad. I went on Facebook. They have um, 5.8 million followers, over 6 million likes, but 5.8 million followers on it's called Teen Vogue. It's, it's, it's geared towards 12 to 19-year-old girls, and it's talking about how, how to have sodomy, how to have sodomy. That's, what, that's what's being pushed to our young people today. So it's important that we understand what the Word says, and we defend what the Word says, and we stand for what the Word says. Because if we don't educate them, who is? The world will. So important, mom and dads. So important that as we lead and guide our families, that we educate them and we teach them what's true and what's right and what's morally um, correct. The, um, the, greatest, the, greatest hum- the greatest needs for the human being, what's, what's the number one need for human beings? Air. Hold your breath and see how long you last. You're not going to last very long. Second thing is water. Got to have water. Go a couple days without water, you start feeling squirrely. Then number three, um, for human desire, human needs, is what? Food. See how long you go without food. But number four, according to the research and the polls, is, is, is companionship, is intimacy, is having uh, is sexual intimacy. It's, it's having a partner for life. That's why we had this glorious plan called marriage. God knew our needs. He knew what we needed most, and he's given it to us. So we're talking about that fourth one of sexuality and having a biblical, biblical perspective. So let's, y'all ready to dive into it? All right, let's do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. He says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that manner. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So this first section here in verses, chapter 7, verse 79, he's addressing singleness. Now, I want to address this phrase here because if you look at all the Pauline writings in the New Testament, he only uses it here. He uses this phrase, he says, um, he says, not I, but the Lord says this. And then some other passages, he'll say, uh, he'll say, I say this, not the Lord. When he uses those phrases, basically what he's saying, when he says, the Lord says this, not I, he's saying, Jesus has already spoken on this subject. 
This subject has already been addressed in Scripture. So what he is now, he is expanding on the topic of singleness, marriage, and divorce. And vice versa, when, when he says that uh, I say this, when he, said, when he says, I say this and not the Lord, he's moving forward, he's expanding on the doctrine. doesn't mean it's not inspired. It's still the inspired word of God. But this goes to show you Paul's view of Scripture. As he is pinning the book of First and Second Corinthians, he is well aware that all Scripture was inspired by God. And now the Holy Spirit is leading him in furthering the doctrines of the New Testament. Now, f- four things here. Four things in, uh, I want to I show to you about singleness. First off, singleness is a gift. It says in, in verse 7, he says, Each man has his own gift from God. It is a, singleness is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Singleness is a gift where a person receives this gift. They're in complete contentment with where they're at in life. They understand to abstain from, from uh, sexual immorality. And they're okay with that. Their heart is settled with that. The Holy Spirit has given them a peace about that. And the most, one of the most important things with the day and age we're living in is knowing that it's a gift. We cannot despise it. We can't, it can't, it's not a gift to be despised. They're not any less or any greater. It's what God is doing in them. Second thing, there's advantages. In verse, uh, verse 8, he says, but... But I say to the unmarried, to the widows, he says, it is good. He says, it is good for them to remain even as I am. Look down at verse 28. Look down at verse 28. Don't want to jump into next week's, but verse 28 says, But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Being single you avoid the difficulties of marriage. And how many of us folks, how many of us married folks can testify that marriage is difficult? It's not always easy. When an individual is by themselves and they're single, they're dealing with one sinner themselves. When a husband and wife gets married, you're dealing with two sinners and all that stuff. Well, when they have kids and the family goes to three, four, and five, you just multiply that. And it's not always easy. It can be very challenging. The challenges that families, that married couples face and families face can be difficult. And Paul's saying by being single, you can avoid those difficulties. Look at verse 32. But just talking about my passage, it is good. Just skip down to verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. And it's this. Why, is it, why does he say that it's, 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 it's good in verse 8? Because you're more useful. You're more useful for the kingdom. There's a freedom in being single. There's a liberty. You can serve more. You can focus on God more. You can fo- focus on, on people more. A single person that's not married, they have a focus. They can put their focus on the kingdom and do greater things that married people cannot. So there's great advantages um, to being single. So number one, it's a gift. Number two, there's advantages. Number three, it's not easy. It's not easy, especially in the day and age that we're living in and the pressure that's coming against us from society. You know, we live in a sex-crazed world. 
you know, and, but so it's difficult living this single life in this world with the surrounding environment that's around them. It, it, can be, it can be very difficult. But here's the thing. If God calls you to be single, here's what you, gotta, you have to do. You have to find your ultimate fulfillment in being, because you are married, the bride of Christ and being a servant of the Lord because you are married to him because you are part of the bride and you, have, and you find your, uh, a person that's single, they find their fulfillment and their love and their passion in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ and going about and being effective in his kingdom. And the fourth thing I want to present to you is this. It's not permanent. It's not always permanent. Look at verse 9. He says, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. There's people, they feel the Lord has called them to be single for a season, and then all of a sudden they start getting squirrely in life, and they're wanting a partnership, they're wanting intimacy. That's okay. That's okay. That's normal. That's normal, and that's fine. But when they get to that point, and they start having those desires and those urges, those, those could be a sign. You know what? It's time to find a spouse. It's time to find a spouse. What I'd like to do is I want to share with you real quick three singles that have stuck out to me the most. Let's look at, let's look at this picture here. The first one on the far left, you might know who that is? That's the Apostle Paul taking a selfie. <laughs> look, I mean, he's, he's, he's got his... He's got his He's got his writings. He's got his sword to slay the Judaizers who wanted to corrupt grace. But the Apostle Paul was single. I understand. I've read the commentaries. He possibly may have been married early on. But as far as we know in the scriptures and all of his life in the, in the word of God, he was a single. Look at what he did. Three missionary journeys. He blazed a trail through Europe establishing the churches because he didn't have the responsibilities of a family. He was very powerful. He was very effective. Who recognizes the lady in the top right? Her name is Rachel Saint. She is the sister of Nate Saint, who was part of um, a, a, a missionary endeavor to the Wadani people back in 1956. Her brother was with Jim Elliott when they got killed. By the, by, the, uh, by the Wadani tribe, these Indians that were known for killing people. And uh, anyway, after the five men were killed, the world said, you, you, you morons, you, you idiots, they, they ridiculed them hard. But Rachel Saint and Jim Elliott's wife went back and served the Wadani people, went in and was able to bridge a gap and go in and do ministry. And Rachel Saint, she felt led to stay single the rest of her life. And she lived the rest of her life with the Wadani tribe down in, um, in South America. And she is buried there today. But she felt called. That was her to be a single and to, and to minister. The bottom right, some of you guys are going to laugh, but this guy's name is Carmen. Carmen got news about five years ago. Oh, Carmen got diagnosed four and a half years ago with cancer. And they gave him five years to live. So I keep up with him on Facebook and follow him. But he, is, he could very well be 
um, approaching the end of his life. But he, 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 from when I'd known him in 1992 to now, he was single. I believe he may have been married before that. But from 1992 till now, he has spent his whole entire life not married, traveling the country, preaching the gospel. It, it was called the Carmen Concerts. Powerful, man. His music was just amazing. It was the first concert I ever went to, and I was sitting there, and it was at uh, Hampton Coliseum in Hampton, Virginia, and 50,000 people raising their hands, worshiping the Lord. His music was not like the music of today. It wasn't this feel-good, seeker-sensitive, let's have a happy day in Jesus. It was songs like, I hunger for holiness. He sung songs about the third heaven, addicted to Jesus. Um, who's in the house? His, his ministry, he spent the rest of his life, from when I know him in 91, being a single and traveling the world, preaching the gospel, and he's still doing it to this day. But keep him in prayer, because the doctors, he, he doesn't know how much more time he has left on his life. But my point is this, going back to my sermon. Singleness is a gift, and you can be used powerfully, and effective as being a single, and we should never be despised. It's a gift from the Lord. Now let's look at married. Verse 10. Verse 10. But to the married I give instructions. Here, here, here he goes, this, this phrase. Not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. I love what the Apostle Paul does here. He appeals to the words of Jesus. He says, this is what the Lord says. And how many of you know Jesus defines marriage? Jesus defines marriage. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to see what Jesus says on this subject that the Apostle Paul is referring to here in this text. Matthew chapter 19. So you can see it for yourself. Underline it if you need to in your Bible. Know where it's at. Matthew chapter 19, verses, verse 4. You there? All right. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them both male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. First thing Jesus does here, he appeals to the authority of Scripture. He told him, he says, have you not read? At the end of the day, when we lay our head on the pillow, it is, it is written. Thus saith the Lord. Our authority rests in what Scripture says. And then he says, he made them both male and female, defining marriage. And then verse 5, defining what marriage is, a male and a female. In verse 5, it says, in the two, the, the last Four words of verse 5, the two shall become one flesh. Talking about marriage between a husband and a wife. Two people becoming one. Verse 6, it says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, 
marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, let me say this. I'm going to give you some reasons I see in Scripture where um, divorce is justified, okay? But before I say that, i got to preface it with this. God's plan always, 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 always is reconciliation. Is always reconciliation. Now, he understands the world we live in is fallen. There are reasons where it's damaged so greatly that the sin has damaged so greatly that, that divorce is inevitable. And so this one right here is the first exception. It's for sexual immorality. He says it there, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, Jesus' words, except for immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. So the first reason, and always remember this, God's plan is reconciliation, but we see where Jesus says here, for the first exception for, on the subject of divorce is when there is sexual immorality. It damages marriages so greatly and so hard that sometimes it's beyond repair. It's rough. It's rough. The world says, this is what the world says about marriage. It says, if you're not happy, if you're not happy, grass is greener on the other side. They say, if you don't like it, just try it again. Just keep going. Just do whatever. That's what the world says. But God says, marriage is a bond for life. It's a bond for life that can't be broken. It's a lifelong commitment. In Malachi 2.16, the scripture says, God hates divorce. Why does God hate divorce? Very strong words. Because first off, it's a sin. It's a sin against God and our relationship with him. It's a sin, number one. Secondly, it breaks hearts. It breaks hearts. It does damage. It scars people for life. It scars people for life. It, it disillusions our children. It, dis, it disillusions our children. You know, there's only one, there, there, there's one person that benefits from a divorce. There's one person that always benefits from a divorce, and that's the lawyer. Everybody else is hurt. There's no winner. It, it's, 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 a, it's a lose. People get damaged mentally, physically, emotionally from, um, from uh, both sides. Marriage is a sacred commitment that we, we are to be committed for life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. Now, Paul in, this, Paul in the text here, he's addressing questions. So no doubt there's believers at Corinth that have come to him and said, Paul, I'm saved now. I'm a Christian, but my spouse is not. Didn't you say something about, didn't you preach one night there at Corinth about we're not to be unequally yoked? You know, I, I got to fix this. I can't, be, I can't be married to this pagan no more. They were evidently asking questions like that, and Paul now addresses that. Christians married to unbelievers. Look at verse 12. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord. He's expanding on the doctrine of marriage um, and divorce. To the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a, a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Plain and simple, guys. You know, when it comes to a married, uh, a believing, uh, uh, the marriage of a believer to an unbeliever, if they consent 
the scripture says they are to, to stay, to stay married. That word consent, the Greek word is sonodikia. It means to agree with, to approve, to consent to. It means um, to live in harmony, to live in one accord, to have each other's best interest at heart. Um, I studied this text very in depth. I read, I read a lot of um, scholarly research, and there's a lot of things out, a lot of, of um, good research materials on the subject of marriage and, and, and divorce. And they brought up a really good question, and, and I tend to agree with what I read. How about physical abuse? How about violence? What do you tell someone who's in, in a physical abuse or violence? That does not meet the definition of consenting. And if, if, a, if a spouse is being physically abused or, or being hurt, I believe that's the grounds for divorce. You know, I, I, I believe that's wrong. Physical uh, abuse, violence is not consenting. And no one is called to put their life um, to put their life on the line, to endure physical suffering. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about arguments. I'm not talking about spats. But that's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about physical abuse and violence where people are being physically hurt. That is not consenting. That is not consenting. And, I believe, and I've seen it in the past where situations like that where people are divorced. And, but, you know, the... Um, Let's, let's, let's keep on. I'll, I'll go back to that thought in a minute. Um, so I believe physical abuse and violence is justifiable reason for a divorce. But remember, I'm dealing with a text. Somebody comes to me for counseling. I am going to steer them towards reconciliation. I'm going to steer them towards peace. You know, I, I am going to steer them towards making their marriage right in finding forgiveness. Always, 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 always. Even in those situations, even when there's adultery, you know, even when there is violence and physical abuse, we're, we always want to steer people towards being reconciled to one another and restoring that marriage because that is God's plan. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Now hold a minute now. Is he saying that a spouse or a children is saved by their parents? Because it says, for the unbelieving husband, it says, use the word, it's, it's sanctified through his wife. It's not saying that you're saved by your spouse's faith. What he's saying here is there's an opportunity to win them to the Lord. You are, are the, the believing spouse, the believing husband or wife, and, the, and maybe there's children that are unbelievers or spouse unbelievers. That is your mission field. That is, you are the bridge, and you need to do your very best to live the gospel for them and win them over to the Lord. That's what it's saying there. The, the, the believing spouse has a mission field, and it is his or her family. Verse 15 but if an unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. For the brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Again, God's plan is reconciliation. God's will 
His plan is reconciliation. But we see here in verse 15, but if the, and this, is talking about a, this is talking about an unbeliever with a believer, and if the unbeliever decides to leave. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister, talking about the Christian, is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So we see another example in Scripture where that reconciliation is the, is the right way to go, but he says they're not under bondage. They're no longer held contractually within that. But of course, remember now, this is an unbeliever and a believer. Can't say this enough. Can't say this enough. And this is, this is my position on marriage. And I believe it's most of yours. Is reconciliation is always God's plan. What, David, what, what verse in the Bible says that reconciliation is always God's plan? What verse? It's not, it's not the whole entire Bible. That's the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is reconciliation. The, the message of the Bible is forgiveness. The message of the Bible is restoration. That's what this whole book is about. So it's not just one verse. It's the whole entire word of God. Amen? Amen. So, Pastor David, you say, my marriage is on the rocks. Can you help me out? We're on the verge of divorce. We, we're, we're going through a challenging time, and our marriage is going south. I want to present to you this morning six questions, six challenging questions. If you're in a difficult season of your life, of your marriage, and things are going south, I want to present to you six questions to help you make the right decision. Y'all ready to do it? The first question is this. Are you living above reproach? Are you living above reproach? Are you walking the talk? Are you walking the talk? Are you doing what you're supposed to? Husbands, if, it's, if, 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 if I'm speaking to you, husbands, are you laying your life, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church and laying yourself down for her? That's what we're called to do. We're called to lay ourselves down for our spouse. Are you living above reproach? Are you doing everything you can to restore your marriage? Wives, are you doing everything you can? Are you living above reproach in your witness, in your walk? Are you doing everything possible? Are you submitting to your husband and saying and letting him be the leader? Those are questions we have to ask. You know, a lot of times when it, comes down, when it comes to this subject, we like to point the finger. You know, the husband points the finger at the wife, the wife points the finger at the husband. But what we really need to be doing is when it comes down to these, we need to be looking at ourselves. We need to be examining ourselves and asking ourselves, are we living above reproach? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? That's the first question. Number one, are you living above reproach? <clears throat> Second question is, is this, who has your ear? Who has your ear as you're going through this difficult season of life in your marriage? Who has your ear? Let's look at Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Who are you getting your counseling from as it 
deals with your marriage on the rocks? Are you getting good, solid, biblical Christian counseling? Or are you listening to people at the water cooler who's trying to convince you that grass is greener on the other side? It's so important as you go through this difficult season and you're fighting for your marriage, you've got to get good, godly counsel. And make sure you're listening to the right people. Cut off the drippy faucets. The drippy faucets are those who feed it, who feed and you just need to leave him or you just need to leave her. Cut them off and get around good, godly, biblical counsel. Get around people that will speak the truth to you in love and speak the word, and pray with you, and help you walk through. I know it's difficult. It's very difficult, and it's very challenging. But you need godly counsel to surround you, and to help you make decisions as you move forward. So number one, are you living above approach? Number two, who has your ear? <clears throat> Question number three for you this morning. Have you acknowledged before God who you are? You know, we, we, we like to point the finger. We like to point the finger at each other. But we need to look at ourselves first. Look at what Paul says about himself in Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am a chief. You know, as, as you're going through this difficult situation, you've got to cry out to God, and you've got to say, Oh, God, I need your grace I need your mercy. I need your wisdom because I am the chief of sinners. I am the guilty one. You got, you got, you got to say, oh God, without this, I can't do it without you. I am the chief of sinners. Because chances are it takes two to tango. It takes two to argue. And there's things, no doubt, in our own life when it comes to marriage that, um, that we're contributing to, to the split, to the schism. And we got to say, oh God, I am the chief of sinners. Understand that and cry out to God and ask for his help to help you. Humble yourselves. Cry out, I am the chief of sinners. Have you acknowledged before God who you are and how desperate you are for his help through this difficult situation? Question number four is this. Have you considered the cross? Have you considered the cross? What happened at the cross? What was Jesus doing? You and I, all of us, all human beings, we offended God. We offended God with our sin and our rebellion. And Jesus Christ came on a mission of mercy, on a mission of love, and came to Calvary to reconcile us. He came to forgive us. Now look at what the scripture says about Christians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Here it is. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We've got to find a place where <clears throat> that forgiveness that Christ gave us at Calvary, that we received from him, we've got to find a place where we can extend that forgiveness to our spouse. Understanding that we're the chief of sinner too, and that we've blown it. You know, chances are both parties are guilty. And we've got to come to a place where we forgive one another. And the best and quickest way to finding a place of forgiveness is remembering the cross. 
remembering the cross and remember what Christ did for us at Calvary. And just as we receive that from God, complete forgiveness, we extend that to our spouse. That's how a marriage on the rocks gets restored. This forgiveness takes place. We think about that word. We love that word. You know, we got little Bible verses on our, um, above the sink about forgiveness and love and joy and peace and patience, but we got to exercise it. We, we've got to experience it. And we experience it by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ and experiencing that and then letting it move forward to the offense that's taking place between us and our spouse. Amen? All right, so number one, are you living above reproach? Number two, who has your ear? Number three, have you acknowledged before God your utter dependence upon him and how much you need him? Number four, have you considered the cross? Number, number five is this, magnify the consequences. I use this phrase a lot when I'm talking with men about adultery. Uh, talking about adultery and lust and immorality. I, I, I use it a lot. I'm like, dude, magnify the consequences. Think about the damage it's going to do to your marriage, to your life, to your children, to your family, if you are unfaithful to your wife. We talk a lot about it. But we can also use it within the context of marriage. Magnify the consequences. It's not just a split and go separate ways. There, there's going to be heart issues. There's going to be mind issues. There's going to be family issues. There's going to be issues that, that it affects. Not that God can't if you're, if you're after the fact, not that God can't restore and heal, but it's going to cause pain. And I think one, one of the things we need to do when we're going through that situation is we need to magnify the consequences. Understand that it's going to be a difficult road ahead. Finally, the sixth point, if your marriage is on the rocks this morning, is this. Do you understand this? Oh, this is so important. Do you understand you're in a fight. Do you understand you're in a fight? And guess who you're not fighting? You're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your spouse. Look at Ephesians. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of the darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual war taking place over your marriage. You know, it's, it's strange. Before we get married, Satan does everything he can to get us to have sex. And then once we get married, he does everything he can for us not to have sex. He works the opposite ways. But there's a battle going on for marriages. And Satan and demons, they do attack our marriages. And, you, and a lot of times, in a lot of cases, you know, talking with people and hearing, and hearing the, the situation, circumstances, I'm like, you're not fighting each other. You're not fighting each other. This is a spiritual battle that one or other of the spouses are going through. They're going through a difficult time. And we've got to understand we're not fighting our spouse. We're not fighting our spouse. You know, we love one another. And, and, and we have to do whatever it takes to protect that love. And to understanding that you're in the fight, and the fight is not against your spouse, there is a fight 
but that fighting has got to be done on your knees. On your knees in your prayer closet. What was that movie? Um, yeah, The War Room. Thank you. The War Room. You've got to go into your war room and you've got to... I'm not... You, you've got to pray. You've got to intercede. You've, you've got to storm the gates of heaven for your marriage and for your relationship. I'm not talking about just picking up the the little daily morning Bible verse at the kitchen table and reading a verse and saying, oh, that was good. I'm talking about, man, you got to pursue God with all your heart. you got to get into his word. you got to get into prayer. you got to get into worship. And you got to understand that this is a spiritual battle that can only be won on your knees. It can be done. No matter what faces a marriage, whether it's Adultery, you name the sin, there's whatever it is, it can rest, healing and forgiveness can take place. Amen? Amen. I want to pray, and then we'll finish this passage. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your, your word. And I just pray, God, that um, you use these to encourage your people, to strengthen our marriages. And um, we love you and praise you and thank you for your work that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's finish up this passage here. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. In this passage, what he's, what he's dealing with here is there was people at the church at Corinth, they came to Christ and now all of a sudden they think they got to change everything. You know, there was people that were married and, oh, I got a divorce. And there was people that, well, I'm in this vocation. I got to change vocations. It's like me in 1992. I got saved while I was in the Navy. Well, I got saved. I stayed in the Navy. <laughs> I didn't quit the Navy and say, okay, it's time to go on the mission field. I, I maintained my career and my status quo in life. I took Jesus from the church to the workplace. And what he's saying in this passage is, wherever you're at in life, serve the Lord there. Some people call it, um, bloom where you're planted. Verse 18, was any man called when he, when, when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called uncircumcised? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Again, at the end of the day, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Each man, verse 20, each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Let no one judge you. I repeat, let no one judge you based on whether you're married or you're single or any social status. We don't view people that way. Verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, do that. For he, excuse me, for, for he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. And likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. 
Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Serve the Lord where you are at. If you work for UPS, then you're a missionary to UPS. If you're in the military, then you're a missionary to the military. If you work for AT&T, well, you're a missionary to AT&T. Serve the Lord wherever you're at in life and be a light and be a witness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for um, your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, I just lift up our marriages, and I pray that you strengthen them, Father. Um, pray that you bring, them, bring us together strongly, Lord God. Help us to understand reconciliation and forgiveness this morning. Help us, help our husbands and wives in this room to understand we've got to forgive each other. We've got to forgive each other and exercise reconciliation. Father, for our singles, pray, Lord, that you bless them, that you guide them, that you direct them, Lord. And if you're calling people to be single, Lord, I pray that you show that to them whether it's for a season or a life, I pray that you strengthen our singles. For, for our family members who've gone through a divorce, I pray that you heal their hearts. I pray, Lord, for your amazing grace, for your Holy Spirit um, to bring healing to the damages caused by the past. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.